when we are willing to listen to another, they feel valued. And when we listen in a way that says you matter, I'm interested in you, who you are and what you're thinking and what you go on to think about and to say out loud with me, they feel valued and therefore we learn more about each other. When we become lazy or we don't listen, we miss out on an opportunity for another person feeling more creative, being more creative, being more courageous and feeling more confident. In my experience, when I am listening to one another, whether it's our children, whether it's my coaching clients, uh, whether it's friends, when I listen to what really matters to them, I am giving them the possibility for them to create new ways forward and the courage to do so. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if it were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and you are listening to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. Now, here's today's question How do we become powerful listeners? And listening is probably one of the most underestimated tools of influence. I want you to think for a moment about all the leaders that have had the most impact on your life. The people who have changed your mind or perspectives, those who have made you feel heard and therefore valued in every single interaction. And I guarantee you, they would have all mastered the art of listening. My guest today believes that listening holds the key to impact. Jane Adshed Grant is a master certified coach, a listening specialist and the secret weapon to those who lead some of the world's most powerful brands. She is also the author of Are You Listening or Just Waiting to Speak? The Secret to Propelling Your Business Relationships. Jane fiercely believes that listening lies at the heart of influence to building relationships that that thrive when times get hard and to loving and leading from a place of deep connection. Now, this episode really made me want to recommit to the art of listening. In it, we dive into how to stop being a lazy listener and what we miss out on when it comes to establishing deep connections with those we love and lead. We explore the core listening traps that we often fall into as leaders, including, and I know that some of these will be familiar, they definitely are for me, including interruption, impatience, and internally rehearsing how we want to respond. We cover how to set the stage and create space for those who find it hard to open up, plus some of the key questions that you can ask to get them to start sharing and to feel heard. Finally, we unpack some of the moments from our own lives as leaders, partners and parents when deep listening enabled a profound breakthrough in connection. Now, these are tools I have honestly used every single day since this conversation and the result has been calmer and a more present way of interacting with the people in my life 
that matter the most. It's also helped me find a way to solve challenges without feeling like I need to find the perfect words, the perfect time or the perfect moment. And it's also created a way to hold space for the words that need to be heard. To enable those words to rise up to the surface and with them brand new possibilities and ways to move forward. In other words, it has completely changed how I choose to show up. Now, for those of you who are ready to take their journey in influence to the next level, don't forget, hop on my website or the show notes and download the latest version of my ebook, The Influencer Code. It covers the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found hands down to be the most useful when it comes to fast tracking your level of influence. Just pop in your email address and it'll be in your inbox in the time it takes to whistle at you. On that note, sit back, cycle on, settle in and enjoy the incredible wisdom of Jane Adshead Grant. Welcome to the podcast, Jane Adshead Grant. Thank you for thank you for coming on today. You're welcome. I'm thrilled to be with you, Julie, and to your listeners. Well, we've got a big topic to jump into, and it's it's one of my all time favorite topics because it's what I spend the vast majority of my days doing. Um, it's probably a skill that, although I wouldn't call myself an expert at, the the focus on the skill has been one of the biggest leaps in my own influence as a as a leader as a partner as a friend as a parent and that is the topic of listening uh, but before we go there before we jump in um, I want to ask you the question that I always ask at the beginning of the podcast and that is if there's one idea that's having a lot of impact on your thinking right now that's really influencing your thoughts that you just can't get out of your head could be old could be current um, could be related to your field or not What's the one idea that's having a lot of influence on you right now? For me, it is that when we truly listen to another free of interruption and free of judgment, that others feel valued as a human being, not just for what they do, but who they are as a human being. And when they feel valued, they add value not only to themselves, but as you said earlier, to their families, to team members, and indeed their organizations. And why is listening such a profound skill? Because, you know, so much attention and emphasis, and, you know, I definitely live in this space, is put on the words that we say. What words we should say, how we should say the words, where we should say the words, how we should promote the words, amplify the words. And yet you know, bigger than all of that when it comes to our own personal level of influence is when we step back from our own words and we actually invite the words of somebody else into our into our world. I've I've heard you use the phrase before, lazy listening, which I kind of loved and hated in equal measure because I, I love it because it's so visceral and, and I hated it because I just brought in my head immediately all the times where I am that. Talk, talk to me about lazy listening. What is it? What does it look like? Mm. Well, I think that was a, a title for one of my blog posts, Are You a Lazy Listener? And I think it is that a lazy listener is perhaps also someone who might even pretend to listen and will recognize that. We'll know when somebody's not really listening to us, sort of faking it, pretending. 
A lazy listener is somebody perhaps who is using an excuse not to listen. Either I'm too busy or um, also a lazy listener is somebody who would be easily distracted. And to be fair, that's not difficult in today's environment. The distractions can be anything from the physical noise around us, the pings and dings, the notifications, can be the psychological noise in our own head, where our mind is busy, cluttered with our own thoughts, or worse still, listening merely to make a reply. And so these are some of the things that make us lazy in our listening. And a couple of others might be um, one that I see regularly is people who resist, who are unable to resist the urge to interrupt. Again, interruptions, we interrupt ourselves and we get interrupted so often, so quickly. And research suggests today even that a doctor when listening to a patient around their own conditions will interrupt the patient after only eight seconds. to make their own diagnosis. And I think the other thing that makes us lazy in our listening, Julie, is for some, we are uncomfortable in the silence and therefore rush to fill the gap. And one of my most favorite quotes, I have many, but one of them is the Dalai Lama who often says, you know, when we speak, we are simply repeating what we already know. And yet when we listen, we might learn something new. The question that comes to me from there is, is you mentioned one of our fears around listening just then, which is, I think we have a fear of the silences. You know, we have a fear of, we have a fear of the gaps. Um, what are some of our, what about some of our other fears around listening? Because you would think that listening would be such an easy thing, wouldn't you? You you would think that if you like someone, love them, respect them, admire them, need them, value them, you would want to listen. And yet, obviously, there are things that stop us. And as you said, there are situational things that stop us. But also, I think there's a lot of fears that stop us. What are, what are some of those? Yeah, I think that some of the fears that hold us back from listening is a fear of how we might need to respond, i.e. there's an expectation when somebody shares their thoughts, their ideas, their feelings with us, that we need to respond in some way and or simply be in some way. And one of the fears is I'm fearful of what I might hear. I'm fearful of how I might deal with what I hear. And then also perhaps I might be responsible for what I might hear. Because if I didn't know, if I don't know, I'm, I am therefore not responsible for, for you and that feeling of if you share openly with me or if I'm listening to you, I am now responsible for you in that moment and I don't know how to, and, and you know, I'm speaking for myself here in certain situations, I don't know how to be responsible for you in this moment or myself. And so I'd rather, you know, let's, shall we just stop here and um, kind of, break this moment so that we don't have to go to the place where I'm just not quite sure how I'm going to respond or be responsible in that moment. Um, what do we miss out on when we don't listen? Well, that's a beautiful question. I think 
first of all, for me, is we miss out on a deeper connection. Because when I mentioned earlier, when we are willing to listen to another, they feel valued. And when we listen in a way that says you matter, I'm interested in you, who you are, and what you're thinking, and what you go on to think about and to say out loud with me, they feel valued and therefore we learn more about each other. So I think the first thing is when we don't listen, we miss out on a deeper connection with others. I think the other thing is when we, when we become lazy or we don't listen, we miss out on an opportunity for another person feeling more creative, being more creative, being more courageous and feeling more confident. In my experience, when I am listening to one another, whether it's our children, whether it's my coaching clients, uh, whether it's friends, when I listen to what really matters to them and I see in front of me, and my daughter's is a really good example. Well, they'll call me, they're both at university and they'll call me and say, hey, mom, um, I'm struggling with this. You know, there's um, a certain tension um, in our house with the other girls right now. How do I, what do I need to do? How do I deal with this, mom? And I value her in how she might res resolve this for herself. And so I'll respond back to her. And so I'll say, hey, Rachel, what do you think? And well, mom, I suppose I, you know, I could see it in a different perspective if I was to think about how she sees this situation. And so when we're listening to another, giving them the possibility for them to create new ways forward and the courage to do so, there were two parts there there wasn't there? there was there was listening and correct me if i'm wrong and, and i could well be but that was also is it reflective listening that you just did then is that the right term the so there's the listening but there's also the drawing more out the drawing more out not jumping in with what you think is reflective listening the right term for that there are many, many different types of listening. It could be, for me, um, I describe what we call generative listening, whereby we are generating new thoughts, ideas, and expression of feeling in another. In my book, I talk about five levels of listening, Julie. Um, in fact, there are many more. Reflective is another. And so I talk about the idea of to be a great listener, we need to begin to learn to listen to ourselves well. If we can't listen to ourselves well, then that, that makes it more difficult to listen to others well. So I talk about listening to self and listening to ourselves, asking some good questions and then listening to the answers. And pretend listening. We spoke earlier about lazy listening. I, I talk about that as a level of listening because there are times when any one of us will fall into that lazy or pretend listening. Um, the idea is to become self-aware to when we do that, even momentarily, and put our attention back on the speaker. What are some of the triggers to that? What are some of the, when, if, if we're in a conversation and we notice, hang on, I, I don't think I'm listening well. And again, you know, I, I can have moments where I'm fully in the conversation with something and all of a sudden a thought will pop into my head and, you know, I'll, I'll kind of noodle off on that thought for a second. And then you kind of like, no, come back, come back, come back. Um, or you might notice the screen on your iPhone does something or or you might be distracted by that human being and think, oh, hang on, I, I, don't, I don't quite like what you just said then. How, how do you catch yourself and pull yourself back? 
Mm, great question. Well, I something I'd love to share for that is um, an analogy of a music system. So back in the day, I don't know if you remember, but we used to have these kind of music systems, which would have a record player, a CD player, um, and what at the bottom would be like a graphic equalizer. And it would show us how to, um, or we would see when any, whether it's the bass or the treble, whatever was out of sync, if you like. And so imagine this in a moment that you have a graphic equalizer in front of you. And if we imagine the graphic equalizer is our attention, that what that we give to another when we're listening. And we have kind of three levels of attention at any one time. We are listening to what the individual's saying, what they're not saying. We're listening to the body language. You know, how does that marry up to what they're saying? That's one level of attention on our graphic equalizer. Another level of attention is the reaction that we have within ourselves to what the person's just said. Just as you said, Julie, I might not like what you said, or, oh, I get that. I've been there. I have empathy with you. Or, oh, I know how to do that. I've got a resolution for you. I can solve that. So we are noticing the response to what we've just heard. That's our second stream of attention, if you like, on the graphic equalizer. And the third stream is the environment in which we're in. As you said, we could get distracted by an, a doorbell going or a ping or a ding on a system or a waiter coming in and asking us for what coffee we'd like. So in order to notice and to develop our self-awareness of when our mind wanders, in a sense, and we pretend to listen, I'm still looking, I've got my eyes on your eyes, but actually my mind is somewhere else. It's catching ourselves by a giving attention to that graphic equalizer. Huh, I now realize I've had a response to what Judy's just said, but I'm going to quieten that in the moment and give my attention once more to her. What do you think? I'm I'm just I'm just rolling back different conversations in my brain actually of because for me there's there's two parts to this. There's first and I'd be really interested in your thoughts on this. There's first is the invitation. To, to give somebody an invitation to be heard. Um, and I find that when I want to have a deeply present conversation, it almost feels like it needs to, and I have no, you know, um, expertise in this area, but it almost feels like it needs to start with some kind of invitation, which is, you know, I would, I would love to hear you. I would really love to, to listen to what you have to say. And I have a number of questions and I'm just, all I want to do is listen. It's my intention to listen. Is there benefit to starting out that way to, to beginning with some form of invitation? Oh, that's beautiful. What you've triggered in me, Julie, is there's the formal settings of listening. So when we're in a coaching conversation, we will always start with an invitation. And yet what you're now inspiring in me, what if we were to do that in every kind of conversation, as you said, that we want a sort of, you know, deeply meaningful conversation. And, and I, can, I can share some experiences where that happens with me um, in an environment outside of work, maybe outside of family. You know, I could be at a, a church on one afternoon or, or I was at a, um, a beautiful induction of our new minister the other week. And chatting to people who I haven't seen for some time, because we all came together for this special time. 
and connecting with someone there. And she was sharing with me something that was happening for her in her life. And it was challenging. And so that was a moment for me to say, to offer that invitation. And so honoring the person of what they've just said, acknowledging them in terms of one could say reflective listening here, gosh, that sounds like it's been a challenging time for you. I'd love to learn more. I'd love to provide a space to listen more for you. And would you like that? So it wasn't there and then in that session, but we've agreed to meet for coffee. But it was an invitation to listen. And just taking it one step further is what I will say to people when they say something that's, you know, I can see, I can sense it's deeply meaningful. I might say, you know, something like that sounds really important to you. I'd love for us now, you know, just I'd love to provide a space for you to share further on that. And please know, as you do so, Julie, that I'm not going to interrupt you. And I'm going to hold a space for you. I'm going to, I'd love to listen. And I'm here free of judgment. And, you know, Julie, I think those two things are really key to share with another. To say that I'm not going to interrupt you. The reason I say that is because when people don't get interrupted, something neurologically happens, something physiologically happens. Because when we interrupt another, the brain experiences that interruption the same as they would a physical assault. And you'll know this, for example, let me bring this to life with an example. Imagine we're in conversation, you say to me, Jane, I've got three things I want to share with you today before we get started. One, this is how we set up the system. Two, I'd love to start with an opening introduction. And three, we'll, you know, but by the, you get to number two, I'd love to start with that. And I say, oh, Julie, by the way, um, can I, and then you say, oh, um, actually there were three things I've now forgotten. What was the third thing? That's what happens to us in when, when, whatever we're thinking, in whatever wave of thinking we have and we get interrupted, it feels it's experienced like an assault on the brain. So if we can say to somebody, I'm not going to interrupt you, what happens is the heart begins to settle, stabilizes, because it knows that it's not going to get interrupted. Blood flows more easily around the mind, the, the brain, and the neurons make greater connections and as in they start to happen rather than at any minute, I'm going to get interrupted. Which would kick you into a fight or flight, right? Because you're, you're expecting, you're, you're waiting to fend off. Um, I really noticed that my husband and I, we have, we have had probably for a number of years now a rule that we, we don't interrupt each other. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's not when we're cooking in the kitchen. It's when we need to sit down and we, and we need to have a discussion about something and we don't interrupt each other. Um, two things on that, that I have noticed through just living it in my own life. The first one is he's very different to me. Like I find it much easier, just my wiring. I find it much easier to think on the fly. I find it much easier to, to come up with ideas, to find the words, to put, put things together. Um, I'm a verbal human being. <laughs> Part of, part of my job in the world to be a verbal human being as well as this thing. Um, but what I noticed when we decided not to, when we agreed not to interrupt each other was something happened to him that was amazing. I hadn't realized how much he needed white space in a conversation. 
because I don't, I don't, I don't need it. And I had, I had no idea how much he needed it. And so we would, we will have a conversation and I'm thinking about one we just had literally two nights ago. Um, and he'll stop when he's talking and he'll stop for a good minute, two minutes. And, you know, I'll be sat there thinking, is he, is he done? Do I say anything? Do I wait? Has he, has he had enough? Is he just thinking about something else now? And all of a sudden he'll just click back in and keep talking because he's taken a breath. He's thinking about what he wants to say next. He's putting it together and he feels hopefully safe enough to take a breath and then keep going. Whereas previous to our agreement, not to interrupt each other, I would have just taken that as, free, you know, free reign. I would have like, he stopped. Great. I'm in. So that's, that's the first one. I think from a personality style, you know, there are, there are a lot of people, my husband included, who, who need that space in a conversation to actually converse in a way that's relaxed and meaningful and purposeful and feels like what they want to say, as opposed to, you know, the quick thing they get to say. Um, the second thing that I've noticed, and this is something I would love your thoughts on, is there are a multitude of ways to interrupt somebody. I have discovered and developed a multitude of ways to interrupt somebody that don't involve words. I can interrupt with my facial expression. And so, you know, when someone says something and it's really heated and you think, I promised, I promised I wouldn't interrupt. So I'm just going to, you know, I'm going <laughs> to pull an interrupting facial expression. And so, you know, exactly what I'm thinking, but I did not interrupt you. I did. <laughs> so there, there are, what other ways do we derail people? There's obviously we derail them by interrupting. We can derail them by the look on our face. What other ways do we derail people from a listening standpoint? I think it's the way we show up. So how do we behave in their presence? I think we derail people's ability to keep thinking well and saying what they want to say out loud is when we ourselves are um, uneaseful. So if I've flown in from a meeting and I'm here ready to listen to you, but guess what? I have got, you know, a day full of meetings ahead of me, some of which I prepare for, some of which I haven't. And even I notice my own voice is speeding up as I say this to you. It's like, I'm here to listen, but guess what? You know, I've got a thousand things I really want to be doing. So actually we derail other people, although we say we're listening, our mind is full. And so we are uneaseful. So in order us for us to listen well, it's to be at ease and at peace ourselves. And I often talk to the idea of, Imagine your your mind is a whiteboard and all those things you've got to do. When you agree to listen to somebody, clear that whiteboard at the time that you've agreed to, decided to listen. So I think one way is we can derail people by being uneaseful ourselves. Another way I think we derail people is, is that when we, it's our mindset of listening. So if we come to listening with a mindset of seeing the potential and possibility in another, they will think better, say out loud their thoughts, express their feelings better than if we are here with a critical listening view to listen to what's wrong, what they've not done. So I think listening mindset can derail people. 
And I think the last thing I'd say, the other thing about derailing people is if they feel that you're there to fix them. I often talk about the idea is when, you know, here's an example here, let's bring this to life. If you are a leader in an organization or a, a, a parent, mentor, coach, and somebody comes up to you and they say, you know, Julie, I have, um, I'm really struggling with my personal brand, you know. So as you see this person, as they walk into the room, do you see this person as a problem? You know, they problem. Do you see this person, do you see this individual as a person who has a problem that needs to be fixed? Or do you see this person as a, as a resourceful human being who has the capacity to resolve their problem, i.e. of marketing their personal brand? And in my experience is when you see a person as a resourceful human being who has the capacity to resolve their problem, you become a better listener because you're going to start asking great questions, helping them to see things differently, think about the situation or themselves differently in a way for them to break through and resolve their, their issue, their problem. And there's also a different energy with that, isn't there? When you're being heard by somebody who inherently believes that you have everything you need to, to solve your own problem. There's, there's a different quality to that listening. I can't quite, I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's a, a faithfulness to it. You know, I have, I'm, I'm sat here, I'm completely relaxed. I don't feel any of the tension that you're feeling because I know that, you know, you're going to, you're going to be able to do this. I know, I know that you will find a way. Um, there's that word that you use, that beautiful word, easeful. There's an easefulness to that listening as opposed to the tension of, you're, you know, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't, I don't know how you're going to do that. I don't, I don't know how I can help. I have no idea. You know, there's a tension to that. The other thing that you said that really struck me then were the words, when you decide, when you have decided to listen, you know, that's very conscious language. And the, the flip side of that, which I, suddenly was a bit of a light bulb that went off in my head, is that you can decide not to listen. What we're talking about here is this passive place in the middle, the lazy listening. But you you can say, and this is a question, you, you can say, actually, I can't hear you right now. Like this is, I'm not able to listen to you right now. What are some ways, because I think, you know, that brings up a lot for us, you know, someone needs me. What are some of the ways that we can consciously choose and respectfully communicate that we're not available to listen. Yes, I think it's in service of both the listener and the speaker at this moment, when you discern or you, have you said you made the decision not to listen at this time. I think it is honoring each other's boundaries and respecting one another. And ways to say it is as beautifully as you've just done there. Somebody, you know, comes into your space, whether you're working at home, whether you're working in the office, and, you know, they interrupt you, they say, look, you know, I need to speak to you, or I've got a question or something's concerning me. Um, I need you. And, you know, you're in the middle of something, you've got a deadline, or you've got a call coming in any minute, you know, so, but you want to honor that person, you know, they've had the courage to come to you to ask for your help in terms of listening or, you know, some support. So I think it's a way of being 
elegant and graceful. You know, Julie, I'd love to listen to you, but right now I don't have the time for what I'd love to give you, given what you shared in this brief moment, but come back to me at the end of the day, or here's a time when I have got time, but know the fact that we'll make time for you. So it's a saying, it's being honest. It's saying, I can't do it now, but here's when I can. Mm. And is there a way or should you set boundaries around around listening? So, you know, I have I have an hour, you know, I am fully available in this hour. I, I want to hear you completely. Um, however, I do only have an hour because I think we've, many of us have been in situations where, you, you know, it, it goes and it keeps going and it keeps going and it's not necessarily getting any clearer and it's going around in circles. And you think, I don't want to interrupt you and I don't want to um, cut you off, but I can feel in myself that this is not making things better for, for you right now. And we're, you know, we're way past time on this. How do you set boundaries around that? I think that's a great question because again, I think it's the content, we listen in different contexts. So we'll have the work context, um, we'll have our professional context. So we always have boundaries we have an hour and a half set aside for this conversation or we have an hour for this meeting or 15 minutes even. So I think that's really helpful. And the reason why that's helpful is because when the speaker knows they've got 15 minutes of your time, Julie, or an hour of your time, and, you know, they want and encourage them to make the best use of that time. It's like, okay, I've only got an hour with Julie. So I'm going to make sure that I'm clear on what I want I have a few questions and I know, I know how she'll be with me. So I'm going to be ready for that. And so it helps the other person when we set boundaries. And then there's the context when you're at home and your children say, Hey mom, you know, you've just come back from school. They had a really rubbish day and you might have a meeting or you might have to put the dinner on or whatever. And here's the moment that you as the listener discern here is this the time to put my stuff away? And I'll bring this, I share a brief story. This happened for, to me a couple of years ago when our youngest daughter came home from school and I was in my office, just as I am now. At the time, I think I was working on a laptop and she said, hey, mum, you know that trip we've got coming up? Uh, we're off to Scotland. Dad had organised for all of us as a family to climb Ben Nevis. We'd never climbed a mountain before. Um, but Ed said, come on, let's have a family adventure. So we're going to, one weekend, have a long weekend, we'll go up to Scotland. And so we were all getting ready for that and organizing ourselves. And anyway, Hannah came back from school and said, hey, mom, I'm really anxious about our trip. And so I discerned at that moment that she was more important than what I was doing on my laptop. So I shut my laptop. I turned my chair as she came in the door and listened to her. And I, I said, what are you most anxious about? She said, well, mom, I feel I'm going to let you down. And I held the silence and she said, yeah, mom, because I'm not as fit as you or dad or Rachel. And I worry that I'm not going to be able to help us all get to the top. And I said to her, so Hannah, what would make it more easeful for you in order for us and for you to enjoy this experience? She said, well, mom, what would make it is if we could have regular stops along the way. And I said, and what else would make it easier for you? 
well, you know, mum, what would be great is if we could have some cool snacks, you know, could we have some cool snacks along the way? And I said, yeah, Hannah, of course. Thank you for sharing. That'd be wonderful. And how are you feeling now? She said, oh, God, I'm so much better, mum. Thank you so much for listening. But you know what happened it was really interesting. We then went into, we went up to our trip and on the way up, um, on three occasions, people asked us randomly why we were going up to Scotland. We sat on the airplane and said, oh, where are you off to on this Friday evening? I said, oh, we're off to Ben Nevis. We're about to tomorrow climb. Oh, Ben Nevis. Oh, you know, in fact, we never made it. You know, the weather was so bad. Um, we had to, when it got halfway. And then we arrived at the airport and we were then checking in to get our hire car. Went to the hire car. She said, oh, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, we're off to Ben Nevis. She said, oh goodness we tried that last year um but my sister twisted her ankle and she had to get blown off the mountain and then the next morning actually it was a beautiful sunny day we're like great we're off and the lady who was owning the hotel we're having breakfast she said oh so what are you doing I said we're off to climb Ben Nevis she said oh yeah well be careful because there are many people that rarely make it to the top so, Julie, in that moment, you can imagine, I can see your face now empathizing with me. As a mum, luckily, Hannah was not privy to any of those conversations. But I decided to keep that information to myself. But I did have doubts. And I thought to myself and my husband, are we doing the right thing? But we, you know, listened to our hearts and had prepared for this adventure. And we set off on our merrily way. Four and a half, no, five hours later, we get to the top of Ben Nevis. Four and a half hours later than that, we get to the bottom of Ben Nevis. It was tough. It was hard. There were some parts where we didn't see anything. It was minus three by the time we got to the top. But what really, what I um, discovered for myself, it was when we flew home and, and Hannah came to my bedroom and said, Mum, oh. it was because of you. Then I got to the top of Ben Nevis. And I said, gosh, Hannah, thank you, darling, but you did it yourself. But she said, no, mum, you helped me figure out a way that I could do it such that we took regular breaks and we had some food together. It was because of you that I got there. And you know, that touched me and it was a wonderful lesson. And the lesson was that before, what Hannah was doing is that she was listening to herself but in a way that was combative to her. I won't be as good as them. I'll stop us getting there. I'll let them down. And then when I invited her through the questions and listening to her, she began to listen to herself with compassion. And I'll get there when I put breaks in. I'll get there when I've got some fun snacks on the way. And this is what I call generative listening. We listen to another to tap into their resourcefulness their goodness, their beauty, their truth, and help them see things differently such that they feel courageous and can accomplish not only what they want, but more than they thought possible. And I love how you just tied that to listening to yourself as well. You know, there's a generative way of listening to yourself. And if you can't manage a generative way of listening or a generous way of listening to yourself, then that is when we go to another human being and ask to be listened to in the hope that they listen to us in a generative way, which enables us to listen to ourselves in a generative way. 
I loved that. One of the one of the things I noticed about that story was, you know, your daughter sounds very, very similar to mine, although mine is only six. So climbing Ben Nevis is, is getting them out of the door with shoes on is enough. Is enough right now. That is my Ben Nevis. Um, but you ask such beautiful questions in the moments where I might have jumped in and gone, of course you can do it. We're going to do it like this. I'm going to do it like that. I'm going to there's something that I need to learn as a leader and as a parent right now that I'm noticing is some elegant questions to draw people out because I live in a world of speakers and thought leaders who are very able and willing to share anything they have to say. And for the beautiful introverts in my world, and there are many that I love, that sometimes takes some invitation. And we've talked about the non-interrupting and the space, but do you have examples of, of elegant, beautiful questions that we can use that draw people out and then enable us to listen more generatively? You know, Julie, I so appreciate your um self-awareness and insight as you've just declared there and I think we are all on a learning journey when it comes to listening I'm still mastering my craft and I feel I will be to the day I die um, and it's that sense of desire to keep improving and keep mastering but let me come back to your question I think you know for me one of the most profound questions we can ask another is simply and what do you think and what or what are your thoughts? The reason I say that is only through is through my experience and through the wonderful work um, of Nancy Klein, who inspired me greatly in this journey. And the journey is around how do we help people think independently, to think as themselves and for themselves, rather to feel that they need to think and be just like mum wants us to be, or the teacher wants us to be, or the leader wants us to be and or to conform to that. And so how we help draw people out, how we help people to think really well for themselves, as Hannah did in that example I shared with you, is to start by saying, and what are your thoughts on this? My daughters come to me with issues all of the time and they're, oh, mum will help me with this. And it's kind of fun in our house. We have a joke, you know, dad is the very kind of technical help me with, you know, how do I get my travel from here to here or um, I need a new passport or how do I fix this amount of money whereas mum you know go to her with any of the emotional relational challenging life who am I becoming kind of quest you know iggies in, in life and I feel it a real privilege as you know to be called their mum and I get this opportunity to help them figure the things out and sure I've been in their shoes some of the time um, not all the time but I have experienced that and my gift is to draw them out so the first thing I'll say is and what are your thoughts on this and they may share a little bit more and another question I might ask them is um, and this perhaps is for well for them I might you know who do you want to be in this situation some of the leaders I coach you know who who do you want to become in the role that you're about to step into I love the, the, who do you want to be in this situation? So different to what do you want to get done 
in this conversation? What do you want the outcome of this conversation to be? What do you want to say? Um, who do you want to be? What what state do you want to be in during this? What state of being do you want to be in? It's a beautiful question. Um, there was another one that I got from, I think it was um, it was an article that you had read um, written, and it said, if you knew you could, how would you? Which, you know, one of the most powerful moments of, I'd say my life, certainly it would be up there. I was, I was at the beach. I was going through a particularly challenging time in my life. And a girlfriend of mine was at the beach and I, I called her and I said, you know, can I, where are you? Can I come? I need to, I need to talk. And she said, I'm at the beach, come down. And so I went and she met me and and I remember exactly where we were stood and I was telling her what was kind of going on for me. And she looked at me and she said, if you had a magic wand, what would it look like? And I just remember looking at her and thinking, um, I, I, I don't know. Um, hang on a second. Let me, let me have a think. I've been so busy focusing on what I don't want that I've not really spent any time articulating what it is that I do want. And, you know, that question, if you knew you could, how would you, which is so similar to what you asked Hannah, right? Like, what, what do you need? What, what can it look like for you? What should it look like for you? I want to talk about making sure that we are listened to because we, we, you know, we're talking about listening to other people. But there's a lot of people out there who are going into situations where they want to make sure that they are heard, where they potentially find it difficult to be heard. It's a situation that's difficult to be heard in. They're talking to somebody where it's not easy to be heard with. How do we set up the situation or the boundaries around a conversation to make sure that we are able to be heard? I get asked this question a fair bit specifically in the work environment where people feel excluded either because of their gender their race their position and or they exclude themselves with a limiting assumption that says i don't really matter here because these people are more senior than me hierarchic is present and therefore they won't really want to hear from me and yet increasingly i have the same request like you that people want to be heard and in my my heart i feel that everyone deserves to be heard to have a voice and so there are, I guess there's a couple of angles one um, as a parent as a leader as a mentor we can set up the environment for that to happen to ensure that people have that opportunity for example in any meeting or any gathering any community any training I'll run I'll always start with what we call an opening round and an opening round to make sure that everyone gets the chance to introduce themselves. And I, I always start with a fun question and a positive question. You know, what's made you smile today? Or what's been working well for you? What's the best thing that happened today? That's easy for anyone to answer. And in that moment, what I what we've seen and witnessed is, is that people don't really feel they belong or, or have, well, that they belong or don't feel they've arrived to any gathering, meeting, supper party until they've spoken. So as soon as we can, we make sure that everybody has had, and I said, I'll set the timer, talk about boundaries. We set that earlier. We have 30 seconds. I want to hear from everyone. So you have just 30 seconds to say your name and what's made you smile today. 
So that's one way of getting everybody heard. But I've set that up as the leader or the person responsible for the gathering. But what if, to your question, you're in the room and you want your voice heard, but you're sitting there thinking, I can't get a word in edgeways, you know? And this is what we hear, see happening in meetings quite often. It's the same 30% of contributors are contributing 70% of the time. And therefore we lose the wealth and the value and the wonderfulness of the others in the room. So if you are one of those few who aren't speaking up, I would say, um, at a moment is to figuratively put your hand up and it sounds, but, but, but in words, in language, I have an idea on this. Would you like to hear? Or I have some thoughts I'd love to share. Is now a good time? So in a sense, what we're doing is we're waking the people up who have just spoken all of the time by calling out, I have something to say. So we're not interrupting. We're not bulging in, but we're saying, I have an idea, are you interested to hear? Nine times out of 10, they'll say yes. But what they've done is not only have they created the space, they've realized, oh my goodness, I have not invited Julie in, I've not spoken to Jane, I haven't heard from so-and-so. And so this is one way that I encourage people to you know, take the breath and be courageous to say, hey, I have an idea, I'd like to share it with you, is now good. What do you think, Julie? What other ways have you found? I'm. I'm smiling because one of the questions I surprisingly get asked a lot, um, and it's it's usually from younger women and in professional services more often than not, strangely enough. Um, and the you know I, I get called in and we talk about communication and we talk about you know power, communicating with impact and we talk about you know speaking and, and gravity and and owning a voice of authority and owning your right to be there. Um, and this question always comes up, which is what to do if I get interrupted? And the story goes, you know, I'm sitting on a panel, there's five people, we, we, you know, we've all been asked to be there, we're all experts in our space. I will go to answer the question and I will get interrupted. How do I, how do I respond? So that's, so how do I respond when I get interrupted? And the second one is how do I interrupt? Because, you know, I'm, I'm sat on a panel, same situation, right? I'm sat on a panel. I have all these things to say and there's literally not a gap where, you know, people talking over each other and I'm waiting respectfully to, for there to be a gap for me to be able to get my opinion in. And there's just not a gap. So how do I, how do I interrupt people? How do I make sure that I get heard? Um, on the first one, I would love, I would love your opinion on, you know, how to handle it when you're interrupted. I, I don't often have much of an answer to that one other than you know there are certain hand gestures that you can use you know my my advice would be it's it's nonverbal you know don't engage verbally it's it's a nonverbal gesture but i would love to know like how do you advise people in those moments i think that's a fascinating and a beautiful question and i feel for those people on the panel <laughs> um and so the first thing that comes to mind is preparation so before you even attend the panel, what are the rules of engagement? What are the principles that we align to each other on this? Um, if there is, and so that would be the moderator's role. Um, and so when that interrupting and speaking over happens, I would hope that there is a, an effective moderator that manages that. But if we don't have a moderator present, the preparation is to connect with a fellow panelist before and to say, look, you know, we agree that we're not going to interrupt each other. 
we agree that we'll take equal turn and time per question or however we're invited. We agree not to hog the airtime because our audience is here to hear from each of us. So I feel there's a lot to be said and done in the preparation of such experience. But then in reality, you're there. And even though you've got the principles and you've agreed and then somebody comes in and loves the sound of their own voice. So the hand gestures, I think, is a good one. And the body language too. You know, for me, it's about moving right in. I'm going to be right off the off of the edge of my seat <laughs> to say, look, I'm ready to share my thoughts. So that's another idea that comes to mind. And if I am being interrupted, I will just stop. I won't compete because I think as a people see it visibly that has been interrupted. And again, it depends on the panel. But what I found, if I've seen that or I've experienced that. The audience will come back to the person who's been interrupted. Can I go back to that question? I want to hear more from that person. The audience will make them will make a decision as well. For me, one of the one of the pieces of guidance I give, which is just wholly kind of practical in the moment, is that if you consider people speaking almost like a, they're waves, right? We have waves when we speak. And it's like any wave, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of energy, there's a lot of energy, and then you feel it kind of tapering off, tapering off, and then it kind of crashes down. And even for someone who loves potentially the sound of their own voice, you know, someone who is going to hog all the air, um, who is incredibly brilliant, no doubt, but has a lot to say and will take up all the time to say it, even they, there's a wave that eventually needs to crash. Even they, there's a breath that eventually needs to be taken and to be ready in that moment. Like you can see somebody reach kind of the crescendo and then, and, and I loved what you said, have your body ready, like use your body so that someone can see that you're primed, that when they, when this wave crashes, when this thought wave crashes and a breath needs to be taken, I, I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go here. And your whole body is, you're like a, an arrow in a, um, not a noose. What am I going for here? A bow, an arrow and a bow. Yeah. An arrow kind of nooked in a bow. You're ready. Um, and I think that that can often help. And there are, there are just also some occasions where, you know, nothing you're going to do is, is going to stop it. And as you so rightly said, the audience can, can see that, but what not to do is to sit back politely in your chair and you know politely wait your turn and show you know not show up for your voice and I think that that you know you and I are in clear agreement on that you show up for your voice doesn't always work but you show up with your whole body for your voice talk to me about the phrase securing the bedrock it's a bit of a, a bit of a segue here but I I read it and and I just, I loved it. What What is the bedrock when it comes to listening? Mm, gosh, well, this was um, the work that I began, that I looked at with uh, Donna Hicks, and it was around dignity. And so the bedrock for me is that as a human being, that we all possess an inherent dignity. And the bedrock of dignity is such that we have our own worth and value. And securing that is that actually nobody can take it away from us. Um, a wonderful example is Nelson Mandela. So Nelson Mandela was, you know, a man of, you know, when he was younger and had this amazing personal vision to create a rainbow nation. 
Um, and yet as a young man, you know, his values were driven by the justice and by fighting and he was angry and rebellious. But 27 years of incarceration, his values changed dramatically and he came out as a changed man with values of humility, of forgiveness um, and wisdom. And he also said never in that 27 years did he ever let anyone remove his dignity. And despite how he was treated. And so for me, securing the bedrock is for us as human beings to know that we value, that we are worthy. And I think what happens in society, there are many pressures on society that will make us sometimes feel that bedrock is uneasy, is unstable, and that we might even feel, dare I say it, worthless or unequal. And I do experience that with others. Um, and the work that I do is to help them secure that bedrock afresh, to feel that self-esteem, to honor their own dignity, and to hold of a sense of equality that we may be different, Julie, and yet we are so connected in what's similar our humanity. We have maybe different education backgrounds. We live in different countries. What brings us together is our humanity. And I think that this is what I mean by securing the bedrock. We secure the dignity for ourselves by knowing that. And we as leaders, parents, mentors, coaches, secure the bedrock of dignity for others in the way we show up around them and that we, the way we listen to them and honor who they are and see them as a human being that has great potential and possibility. And again, I love that you started with, with it starts with ourselves, that we have to secure the bedrock as best we can and then get support, but secure the bedrock for ourselves. We have to secure the bedrock of our own dignity first by walking into conversations feeling as worthy and as valuable as anybody else at that table. How do you guide people through that process? And I'm thinking, you know, of a, of a workshop I was in a couple of weeks ago and there was one particular person in that workshop or I could tell that they walked in the room feeling not as valuable as everybody else in that workshop. And they, and they you know, they, they had their reasons um, as came out, but how do you guide somebody through that, through securing their own bedrock first? The first thing is to create an environment that is psychologically safe. And I was in a, I was teaching only yesterday and one of my delegates said, you know, one of the things I witness in you, Jane, is, is that you create such a safe place for me to challenge deeply. And he was very challenging. And he said, you know, I've been so challenging and people tell me I'm incredibly challenging, but the way you handle it is extraordinary because you allow me not only to challenge, but to explore and feel held. And, our, you know, we had differences, you know, there were differences of opinion and thought. Um, so making him feel safe in a way to feel challenged. But interestingly, sometimes when people present in a certain way that might be challenging or confrontational, it's often because they feel insecure themselves. So for me, how do we help people navigate that process? Number one, we want to create a psychological safety. And we do that in the way we listen. And the fact that we tell them that we're not going to interrupt you and we're listening free of judgment. Another way is to notice what's good about them and say so 
and this is one of my principles of listening, it's around appreciate the qualities you see in them. And when you do so, make it specific and succinct and sincere. You know, certainly in our culture here, um, people don't like to be complimented. They feel a bit uneasy about it. This is more than that. This is an appreciation of a, of a quality, almost a character trait we see in them. And often they well, they haven't heard it before, or it may not be something that they see in themselves. And what you see is they physically grow in esteem and stature and contribution um, because we have seen them and they feel not only heard, but they feel seen. So it's actually noticing the quality we see and saying so. And I feel that is another way that helps people overcome that. I think it was a quote, um that I read from Donna Hicks via your work um, where she said that she noticed that breakthroughs in conflict resolution were secured not through intellect, creativity or commitment of the parties involved, but through their willingness to address violations of each other's human dignity. And, you know, when I read that, it was a bit of a, of a full stop moment for me because you know, often you go into these conversations thinking that it will be my intellect, our combined intellect, creativity and commitment to finding a resolution here that's going to make all the difference in the world. But actually breakthroughs, if, when you really think about it and sit with it, the breakthroughs do occur when both parties are willing to acknowledge, you know, and address the violations of each other's dignity. You know, what what has happened in the past? What What may make you feel this way? I acknowledge that you know it's it's understandable that you feel how you feel how how what other ways are there to address the violations of each other's dignity because we do it to each other all the time i would probably do it to my family and team you know indirectly and you know non-deliberately many times a day i'm sure well, I mean, Donna's book is fantastic. She's written two books on dignity and dignity in the workplace. And I think the first thing is to say, you know, when somebody feels their dignity, their worth, their self-esteem, their value has been dishonored, um, it's to acknowledge that, as you said. And whether or not we see it is, it doesn't matter. The fact that they feel it is what matters. And so the way that we can help um, I think address when we might have violated is one is an apology. You know, I'm sorry you felt that way. It was certainly not my intention. I think um, it is to also be very aware of when we take a position, Julie, um, of feeling and needing to be right, our opinion, for example, that when we do that, we make others wrong. And so to be open to the other side you know, let me learn from your perspective. In this world, we see increasing polarity of thoughts and ideas. And actually, there can be a healthy tension in that polarity, as long as we are willing to listen to that. And I think people's dignity can be violated when we cut them off, when we, we devalue their opinion, as if to say, and make it worse, your identity, you're wrong. <laughs> it's not you, it's that thought is just different from mine. Um, and so another way of mitigating a violation is to say, look, I don't agree. But when we can listen to another, I think the strength of our maturity is to say, you know, I may not agree with you, but I accept and acknowledge your perspective. And so I think that are a couple of ways of how we might, you know, um, 
address any violations that that we may have we may have done. But to learn more about that, I would say I'm not an expert. I read um, Donna's book a couple of years ago. It's profound. I would super recommend uh, Dignity and then Dignity in the Workplace. And she has a wonderful um, array of you know ten different areas where we do, and then how do we overcome those? I can't. I don't have them all to mind at the minute. I just want to, one of the final questions I wanted to ask you, you, you know, you mentioned and we've talked about listening to yourself and why that needs to be ground zero when it, when it comes to listening to anybody else. And where recently have you, have you needed to listen to yourself? Where, where recently have you found that that's become really important with how you deal with the world, your team? Gosh, that's a wonderful question. Oh, well, there's a couple of re- a couple of areas, but um, let me share the one. I suppose one of which at the minute is listening. I've I've had to listen to myself a lot right now. I'm at that the generation. Some people call them the sandwich generation. I have two beautiful girls. They're both away at university, and yet we're in touch a lot. So their needs are different, and they're becoming beautiful. Ind- well, they are independent women, and they're facing life um, on their own. And with friends, of course, with us supported. But so I'm still very present in their life. My parents are elderly and my dad is very poorly. And therefore, attending to his needs is a daily experience for me now. And I woke up this morning thinking, oh, yes, I feel like I've got three jobs. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's it's hard on many levels. Emotionally, it's very draining. Physically, um, it is. Um, And so I find myself in this sandwich parent a sandwich generation so the listening to myself recently has had to be um I have discounted my own needs Julie to such an extent where I'm certain times feeling a little pain physically and it's a kind of wake up you know as in Jane what are you not attending to you know I I do exercise where I can you know eat healthy where I can but I also slide off and you know don't always attend to those needs very well and make time for myself. So I've had to listen to myself very recently in, you know, if I don't listen to, if I, if I don't listen to my needs now, that I'm not going to be able to serve the people I love and care for in the way I want to. So I've had to be listening with compassion <laughs> rather than with combat in giving myself attention to be who I want to be for the others in my life. What are some of the questions when when you tune into yourself that you ask? Are there some regular questions that you ask yourself? Well, fabulous. So the first thing is, you know, who do I want to be in this situation or in this role right now? Um, and you know, what are the what's the contribution that I want to make in the lives of others, those I mentioned, plus my clients' lives? And how do I want to feel right now? It's very feeling for me. How do I want to feel? And then I'll ask myself a question that, you know, if I feel stuck, you know, what am I assuming that's stopping me feeling the way I want to feel? Mm, I love that one. What am I assuming? Which questions your assumptions, but it also highlights the fact that the uh, the majority of our perception of the world is a story inside our own minds and you know the things we we think and predict rarely 
become eventualities and even if they do they feel very different than than you thought they were going to feel i love that one okay well final question for anybody that's out there today tomorrow who needs to go into a situation where they want to listen better for somebody that they want to listen to better what's what's the one thing if everything else gets forgotten in the moment what's the one thing that they should focus on I would say the first thing is to any one person is to say to you that being a great listener is being a great contribution to the life of another and as you step into that when you decide to be that great listener my invitation is to resist the urge to interrupt Because when you listen free from interruption, people feel valued. And when they feel valued, they will step into who they're meant to become. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Um, Yeah, thank you for your time. Thank Thank you for your work. And yeah, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Julie. And I want to appreciate you in the beautiful story you shared earlier on around giving your husband the space to think and process his thoughts. And, you know, the quality that I appreciate is your adaptability. Mm, well, thank you very much. Um, I've, I really appreciate the watching you process you know, I'm, I'm, I can see you in this moment and, and watching you process your thoughts and how you put the concepts and the stories together is just, it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing to watch. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea or brand in your space, then I have good news. You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands-down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.